0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter number 3. You remember we're in a series entitled The God Questions. Questions God asked in Scripture. Uh, there's no disagreement about the fact that God speaks to us through the Bible. And in the Bible, most often, He speaks to us through statements made. But what we often do not see is the fact that God, more often than we realize, speaks to us through questions. God asks So far in Genesis chapter 3, we've seen the first two questions God asked. Those questions were, where are you? And the second question was, who told you that you were naked? And we dealt with those two. We're returning to Genesis chapter 3 to look at the third question that God asked. So look with me. I'm going to begin reading with verse number 1, going through uh, verse 12. Going through verse 12. And we're going to see the third question that God asked. We're going to talk about what it is and how it applies to us. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Question number one. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Question number two. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity just to read your word. We thank you, Lord, for what you say to us through your word lord i pray that you would open up our eyes as to this third question that you were recorded to have said lord help us to see how important it is how significant it is and what it means to us and lord we will praise you in christ's name amen the house i grew up in four miles south of coming is on a three-plus-acre acre a 3 plus acre lot. Uh, we, we had a small farm there, as much a farm as you could put on three acres. We had a poultry farm, and we, we raised, uh, Daddy raised for about 30 years, 20,000 chickens for seven and a half weeks at a time. And we also had uh, a garden there and a vineyard there, and we had several fruit trees there. That three-acre lot was bordered on the left side. If you were sitting in a rocking chair on our front porch... It was bordered on the left side by a large grove of woods. And in those woods, you found the normal trees, uh, mostly pine trees here in Georgia. But you also found a, a water oak or two, a whole bunch of sweet gum trees with all the sweet gum balls that come falling from sweet gum trees. There were some maple trees. And of course, during the late spring, there was a whole spray of dogwood blooms, dogwood trees in those woods. But on the edge of those woods, closest to my house, was one single tree that was unique from all the other trees in that big area of woods. It stood about 40 feet tall. It was about 10 inches in diameter at its widest point. It was unique because it bore fruit every year. The fruit was about plum-sized. It started out green in color, and it was a hard texture. And over the course of the summer, that green texture would, would soften up, and it would turn uh, a reddish-orange color. For most of the years that I was a kid, that fruit on the tree was, was too high up for my brother and me to reach it. There was one year, however... When we had a bounty of fruit on our fruit trees, and on that particular tree, which we did not plant, it was a wild tree. There was so much fruit that there was even fruit on some of the lower branches that were within reach of my brother and me if we'd just climb up the tree just a short piece. It was that year that my dad, one day in the yard, called my brother and me off to the side and he said, Boys... Don't eat the fruit in that tree. Don't ever eat the fruit that's in that tree. He said, we've got apple trees back here beside the chicken house. He said, I have a couple of pear trees. We had about eight peach trees with Georgia Bell peaches on them. And he said, I have a plum tree back there. He said, you can go and pick any of the fruit from any of those trees you want to, But this tree, this wild fruit bearing tree here at the edge of the woods, boys, don't eat the fruit on that tree. Well, his prohibition made me want to eat that fruit all the more. But we didn't. About the time when I was eight years old in 1968, in the middle of the summer, we had some boys from our road. Our road was Piney Grove Road. It was about a mile and a half long. And, and quite often we'd ride bikes with different boys on our road. And sometimes we'd have those boys out of our house. We had a, a, a small baseball field on our place. And about 10 to 12 of us guys would gather and we'd play either softball or baseball. During the winter we'd play football out there. But on this particular day we were playing Baseball. We played the game and after we got through with the game, we were kind of hanging out in the uh, side yard close to where that woods line was. And somehow the attention in our conversation moved to the mysterious fruit on that wild tree and some of the boys talked about that, boy, we need to climb up there and get some of that fruit. And it was at that point that uh, I looked at my brother, and I turned to the rest of the guys, and I said, well, I said, you know, my dad said we should not eat the fruit of this tree. Well, uh, we looked up. The fruit uh, on it was still green in color. It had not ripened. And Harold, Harold Eccles, he was one of the three Eccles boys that we used to play with. Wayne Eccles was the oldest, then Harold, then Joey. Of the three, and now Harold's a great guy, he's a worker in his church, but of the three during those days, Harold was the most mischievous, but I didn't know it at the time. I was only eight. And Harold said, I'm familiar with the fruit on that tree. I've seen that fruit in some trees near our house. And he says, I will tell you that there's nothing wrong with eating that fruit. He says, in fact, it's really good even when the fruit is not ripe, even when it's green. It's really good. And I would encourage you to try it. I don't know why your dad wouldn't want you to have it. And so he climbed up the tree, which I was not able to do. Harold was a woodsman. Even at a young age, he climbed up the tree and he shook some of the branches and those green plum sized fruits fell to the ground. Well, now, I know what it's like living on a a fruit orchard. I know what it's like eating Uh, Some fruit that's green i've eaten a lot of green apples before that were not ripe yet And although they would upset my stomach if I ate too many of them. I knew that they were really good They had a good taste to them. I liked eating Not quite ripe green apples And so I knew that part of what harold was saying was true at least with other fruit And ever since dad had been telling us we should not eat from the fruit of that tree I had been wanting to eat from the fruit of that tree and so Harold said it was okay. I trusted Harold at the time. There was a while after that that I never trusted Harold again. Now I trust him again. But I trusted him at the time. And so I reached down and I picked up one of those green plum-sized fruits. And I took the shirt tail of my t-shirt. And I rubbed all the germs that were possibly on that fruit off. And I pulled it up close to make sure there were no worm holes on it. Or no little webs in the uh, core of it. And I bit off about half of that bad boy. And I knew immediately that I had made a terrible mistake. The moment I started chewing into that fruit, my tongue dried up and shriveled up. My mouth started drawing up into my nostrils. My teeth felt fuzzy. My mouth felt like it was was full of cat hair. And the more I tried to get it out, I couldn't get it out. It was the most miserable feeling I'd ever had in my mouth. And the taste was absolutely appalling. Harold was laughing to the point that he was rolling in the Bermuda grass there in our yard. I tried everything I could to get the taste and the feel of that terrible fruit out of my mouth. And as a last resort, after I had exhausted every other avenue, I ran into the house crying like a baby to my mother and daddy for some parental advice. As I was explaining to them and describing to them what had happened, the feeling that was in my mouth, that my mouth was drawing up into my nostrils, my dad said... Have you eaten from the tree from which I told you not to eat? And I said, Dad, Harold told me to do it. And dad said, if Harold told you to jump in the lake, would you do it? I said, well, and before I got a chance to answer, dad said, those are persimmons, son. You never eat a green persimmon. They're not fit to eat. They will turn your mouth inside out. And that's the reason I told you not to eat that fruit. You ever eaten a green persimmon? Don't. Every time I read Genesis chapter 3, my mind goes back to that summer in 1968 when Harold Eccles climbed the persimmon tree at the edge of our yard and he shook the branches and the green persimmons fell and I I bit into half of that persimmon and my life for a moment that seems like, it seemed like an eternity turned upside down. And when I'd wasted every other avenue going to my father, my father said, don't ever eat green persimmons because they taste like death. And every time I read Genesis chapter 3, I think about that time, especially the question that, that uh, God asks Adam. After Adam and Eve had eaten this forbidden fruit and realized that their lives immediately had been turned upside down and they they realized they were naked and they sewed them some clothes, becoming the first fashion designers in all of history. And they ran to hide in the trees, not persimmon trees, mind you, some other kind of tree. And God came looking for them in the garden in the cool of the day. Where are you? That first question, that theological question that had nothing to do with location but had everything to do with their relationship with Him. Where are you, Adam? I'm looking for you. I'm pursuing you. I love you. Where are you? I heard your voice in the garden and I ran to the trees and hid in the trees because I was naked. Who who told you you were naked? Question number two. Who told you that I didn't love you anymore? Who told you that you weren't fit? Who told you to hide from me? It was a question of both affirmation, I love you in spite of what you've done, and confrontation. I'm confronting you with what you've done. How do you know you're naked? For the longest you were naked and didn't realize it, it wasn't a problem for you. But now he's ashamed to be naked. But before Adam could answer that question, who told you that you were naked, God rattled off the next question, which was Have you eaten from the tree from which I told you not to eat? In order to really understand the import of this question, you have to go back to Genesis chapter 2, where we find in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we find three verses in which God gives to Adam His first instruction to a human being. Now think about that. God's first instruction to a human being. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 say this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And here it is. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. It was God's way of saying, look, I have apple trees and pear trees and peach trees and plum trees. You can eat all you want from any of those, but of that wild fruit-bearing tree at the edge of our place. Boys, don't eat that. You'll be sorry if you eat that. You'll know it as soon as you've tasted it if you eat that. Don't eat that. God's first instruction. But when you move into chapter 3, the whole setting changes. We've been prepped for it by chapter 2, especially verses 15 through 17. And now we're into chapter 3. We've gone from God's first instruction to man's first transgression. The transgression comes in verse 6 of chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 6 says this, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and that it was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And what did he do? He ate it as most good husbands will do when their wives tell them to do something. This, of course, was a clear violation of what God had commanded of God's first instruction in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. You are not to eat of the fruit of that tree, so what do they do by the time you get to chapter 3, verse 6? They are eating from the the fruit of that persimmon tree or whatever kind of tree it was. Uh, People have somehow legendarily concluded that these were apples. The text really doesn't tell us what kind of fruit it was. I am convinced that the fruit was either persimmons or it was pomegranate. Pomegranate, smell good, look good, not fit to eat. Persimmons, you just don't eat them. It was man's first transgression. Now, what does God do when He's given a specific command, His first command? And mankind has blatantly... Uh, disobeyed that command, what does God do? Did see, does He just wink and say, ah, I knew you'd do it. No, that's not what He did. God confronts them. And so not only in this, these two chapters do you have God's first instruction and man's first transgression, but you have God's first confrontation with mankind, with humanity. And that confrontation comes in chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. It says this: But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? God's confrontation comes in three rapid-fire questions: Where are you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? It was, uh, it, were, it was a rapid-fire uh, procession of questions. It would come from the, the mouth of a, a seasoned interrogator, a seasoned prosecutor. Where are you? Where were you at the time this happened? Who told you that you were naked after this happened? Have you eaten from the tree from which I told you not to eat? It was God's first confrontation with a human being. God will always confront us with our sin. He always will. Now, we might not always listen to it. We might not always pay attention to it. But He will always confront us with our sin. Not because He wants to hunt us down, but because He loves us. Further in this passage, not only do we see God's first confrontation, but then we see man's first reaction really comical when you look at verse 12. The man said, now this is in answer to God's question, have you eaten from the tree from which I told you not to eat? Here is Adam's answer. The man said, the woman. Now keep in mind, the question, have you eaten from the tree, is a, what, what linguists call a closed question. A closed question is one that can only be answered with yes or no. Have you eaten from the tree? This is yes or no, Adam. Well, the woman, it's yes or no, Adam. Well, the woman, you, gave me. She ate of it. And then she gave to me and I ate it. But it was the woman, you, gave me. Now, Adam's response to this question, this yes or no question Uh, comes in in three things. There are three things that Adam does here in his response. First of all, he tries to evade the question. It's only at the very end of his answer that he finally, finally admits, I ate it. And it's almost like uh, he said it as the breath was oozing out of his mouth. "Uh, The woman you gave me, she gave me to eat and I ate it. He evades the question, tries everything he can do to shirk responsibility. The second thing he does is he he shirks responsibility by blaming Eve, the woman. It was the woman. She ate of it. She ate of it first, Lord, then she gave to me. But he doesn't stop there. Did Did you notice the verse? He doesn't say, the woman ate of it first and then she gave to me. Here's the way he puts it. He says, the woman you gave me. Not only does he evade, uh, uh, avoid, try to avoid answering the question. And not only does he blame Eve, but he also blames God. God, you're the one who put her here. You're the one who put that tree here. And you're the one who, who, who brought the temptation here. God, you, you're the one, the woman you gave me. She ate of it. And then I ate of it. She gave to me and I ate of it. Adam was in a pickle. This question, have you eaten from the tree? It's a simple question, really. But for Adam, it was also a complicated question because the first time, for the first time in his life, he was in a tight spot. He was being confronted by God with what he knew he shouldn't have done. Well, there's something here I want you to see. In this story, the only human beings who are there are Adam and Eve. And both of them are guilty. So in the story, all of humanity is guilty. The sin and the guilt from the sin are universal. Now, what does this mean? I think that it means that that's exactly what sin is. And the guilt from sin, it is universal. That is, we all have partaken of it. And this idea is further supported by the fact that the Hebrew word Adam, from which we get the name Adam, the Hebrew word Adam means humankind. God created Adam, humankind. And then later from Adam, he creates Ish and Ish-ah male and female. That's Hebrew. Adam, ish, ish, ah. But throughout this passage, Adam is called Adam, humankind. All of humankind was guilty here. All of humankind had eaten the tree. But then finally, we see God's first and only solution. You see that perhaps in verses we haven't even read, verses 14 and 15, says this, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And then verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her offspring, your offspring, and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Many scholars view call this this verse, chapter three, verse fifteen, as the proto euangelion which is a fancy word that means the first gospel. They believe that this verse, in a in a a, a general vague way, prophesies the coming of the offspring of Eve, who is Jesus, who will crush the head of the serpent, Satan. And when does he do that? On the cross. Now, whether that was the original intent of this verse, I don't know. But you and I do know from the vantage point of the New Testament that that is exactly what happened. Romans chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Death reigned from the time of Adam, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. But he says... Uh, for For if the many, verse 15, if the many people died by the trespass of one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Again, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man, Jesus. Verse 22, For as in Adam... All die, so in Christ, all will be made alive. God's first and only solution for the universal sin that you and I are in is to send His Son as a sacrifice for us. Our response should be, must be, to believe in Christ and invite Him into our lives. Some people have told me, That ripe persimmons, when they're red in color, really taste good. I will never know. (laughs) On that day, that summer day in 1968, I swore off persimmons. To this day, I have never eaten a persimmon, ripe or unripe. I have made a commitment before God that I will never eat a persimmon, ripe or unripe. There are too many apples, peaches, plums, and berries for me to eat a persimmon. And I'm hoping that Amanda will never sneak a persimmon into anything she cooks. I've sworn off persimmons, but I'll tell you one thing I have done. I've eaten from Adam's tree. And I've eaten from it several times. And so have you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to all of us, you ask the question you posed to Adam Adam, have you eaten from the tree? From which I told you not to eat. And Lord, we may, like Adam, try to avoid the question. We probably, like Adam, will try to assign blame to somebody else when it belongs to us. But one thing is for sure that if we answer that closed question correctly, the answer will be Yes, Lord, I have eaten from the tree from which you told us not to eat. We stand guilty, and there's nothing that we, in and of ourselves, can do about it. There's no way that we can exonerate ourselves or absolve ourselves of the guilt that was the result of our sin. But Lord, you look into humanity And you saw our helplessness and our hopelessness. And you gave your son to die on a cross that we might be cured from the guilt of eating from that tree. Lord, I pray for folks who might be here this morning who have never invited you into their heart to be their Savior and Lord. People who have eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but they've never partaken of the fruit of the tree of life that comes through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for someone to be saved here this morning. Someone to make the decision to invite Christ into their lives. Lord, I pray for someone who is already a Christian to come and say, I want to be a part of this church. I want to join this church officially. I pray, Lord, for someone who is saved, but yet has even yet in their salvation life, in their Christian life, they've dabbled with that fruit more. And it's not destroyed the relationship, but it certainly has damaged the fellowship. And Lord, we need to come and just rededicate our lives to you. Lord, move in this service as our altar is open. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.